Good morning, Saints at Advent. Uh, good to uh, see you today. I apologize that it's it's been about three weeks since we've had Bible class like this, but uh, the last uh, three Sundays uh, we had church at 8.15, 9.30, and 10.45. Great attendance, by the way. Uh, we kept well under the guidelines of 100. Uh, this weekend now, uh, we have opened back up. Uh, currently here in the state of Indiana, uh, we are suggested to be at 250 or less. Uh, so we're back to our normal service times of 8.15 and 10.45. Uh, we had about, uh, well, I think we communed about 80 uh, maybe at the the first service, so uh, um, so plenty of room at the second service. We are still leaving the tape up in the pews and every other pew just to help with social distancing. So plenty of space. We can fit close to 150 uh, even with the taped off pews uh, and that sort of thing. So if you're trying to decide whether to come for late service, you got plenty of time. <laughs> you got an hour uh, to uh, hop in the car or the truck and uh, buzz on over here. Uh, we're back to uh, pretty much uh, normal divine service on Sunday, with the exception that we're still not using the hymnals, the Bibles, or the attendance books. We will <clears throat> reintroduce those July 5th as long as things continue to, to look good. So slowly reopening uh, phase by phase and uh, really, really good that way. We did that if you were watching the service this morning. You notice at the very beginning of the service, we were blessed with a wonderful donation uh, that kind of came out of the blue, and that was the gift of a new processional crucifix. Um, our old processional cross uh, had been donated uh, way back uh, at the start of Advent, and the family that donated that uh, is no longer around, um, and it was just kind of time for an upgrade. The other problem we had with the our old processional cross, it was really, really heavy. <laughs> And so I know some of you, when you watch some of our younger confirmands carry the cross, you go, whoa. <laughs> so, um, so the family that donated it, uh, they are anonymous. Uh, you know who you are. Thank you very much. Uh, they purchased uh, here for the church a brand new processional crucifix. It's solid wood. Uh, it's a lot lighter. It's also hand-carved and hand-painted. It looks a little antique, even though it's brand new. And the corpus, uh, that's the body of Jesus on the cross, is actually uh, the design from Leonardo da Vinci. So it's a, it's a Leonardo corpus, um, and it picks up some colors out of our sanctuary, kind of gives us that old and kind of new look at the same time. So um, uh, as Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, all crosses are good, and uh, now we've got a, a really beautiful, uh, easy-to-use uh, processional crucifix. So we dedicated that at the start of the service this morning, and we'll dedicate that again, obviously, for the sake of the late service people that are in attendance as well. Okay, what else to tell you? July 5th is when you will be invited back to join us here for fellowship. So we've got the donut order in, and donuts will be here July 5th, uh, coffee and goodies, and uh, we will uh, we'll spread out. Uh, so July 5th, uh, uh, that, will, that will be the plan to return back to the, the normal fellowship and Bible study hour. Don't forget, next Sunday, July 21st, is our annual voters meeting. And hopefully you've read your uh, emails that have come out. That's going to be at 12.30 uh, p.m. Um, and I think we're going to do that in the sanctuary. It gives us a little bit more room to spread out. But uh, if you are not um, leaving your house yet, you can also sign up ahead of time to vote by email. 
Uh, so it'd be a proxy email vote, and we will send you a link. We will live stream the voters meeting, but it won't be available to the public. So if you go to search on our YouTube channel, you won't find it. You have to have the link, which we'll give to you. So you need to pre-register ahead of time if you're not coming to that meeting in person. And then for the voting, um, as long as you're pre-registered, we'll allow you uh, to vote then. Um, the voters will obviously have to, to pass that resolution at the very beginning of the meeting to allow for that type of voting. Um, but that's, that's not a difficult thing to do. A lot of other congregations have done it that way in the midst of the COVID crisis, okay? Uh, gosh, any questions? Um, I'll take any questions if anybody's got any that have popped up. We still have not had any cases um, uh, of COVID in our congregation. Thanks be to God for that. Um, had a number of people that have now been able to have some elective procedures, those sorts of things, and some upcoming as well. So uh, thanks be to God for the relief for some of those things. Um, I don't have too much else. Pastor Grady, am I missing anything we need to emphasize? Oh, yeah, don't forget July 4th, our uh, uh, fellowship board, instead of having our annual church picnic, uh, we're going to do a July 4th uh, picnic, get together here in our parking lot. Uh, we should be able to see the fireworks. Uh, they're going to launch them in Zionsville from Mulberry Fields. So um, I think, you know, we won't be able to see some of the stuff that's low, but should be able to see it plenty high. That sits up a little higher elevation from here. Um, and uh, so you, you do need to sign up for that ahead of time. Uh, they wanted to keep the number at an, an appropriate uh, amount. So is that it? Okay. Uh, everything else in terms of activities for the summer has been canceled. Vacation Bible School, um, uh, unfortunately, higher things. A youth trip for the uh, high schoolers. Um, yeah. Um, and the Lutheran, our heritage tour, is also going to be pushed back a year. So when COVID hit, we were getting ready to announce to you the plans for next summer. But with travel and all that stuff, after talking with the, the committee, uh, we're going to push that back a year. So the Lutheran Heritage Tour uh, will now be 2022 instead of 2021. Um, so it gives us a little more time, uh, not only to fundraise, but just for, for things to die down and vaccine and all that stuff. So. Okay, any questions that have popped up, you just flag me down if we're good to go. Uh, we are uh, finishing up here uh, Chapter 8 of uh, uh, Professor Kurt Marquardt's book, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. Uh, he now rests from his labors uh, with Lazarus and uh, the saints above uh, in heaven. And uh, we are just finishing up uh, Chapter 8, One Holy Church on Earth on Heaven. And we're on page 150 if you have the book. This will be the second full paragraph, by far the most popular form of millennialism today. Before we begin, let's uh, pray. The Lord be with you. O God, the strength of all who trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because through the weakness of our mortal nature we can do no good thing, grant us your grace to keep your commandments that we may please you in both will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, uh, Mark Wartier uh, has been talking about um, the uh, literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, uh, which is not a literal thousand-year. There are many people who believe that. So when they read in uh, Revelation and a few other places in the Bible, um, they take that that there's a, a literal thousand-year reign. So if you've ever read, and I hope you haven't, or watched the movies, and I hope you haven't, 
any of the Kirk Cameron movies, uh, Left Behind, um, you'll understand pretty quick what some other people are teaching. So we are amillennialist or amillennialist as Lutheran Christians, and that we believe that this thousand years, uh, or we don't believe, Scripture tells us that this thousand years represents the last days. So we are living in this thousand years now. This is the time after Christ has ascended into heaven, and we are called to be watchful. Uh, we're called to have oil in our lamps, keep them burning, uh, to be ready for the bridegroom who will come. And, uh, and no man knows that hour or the day, uh, only the Father. Um, so Jesus will return. We live in those last days now. So there are premillennialists and postmillennialists. I'm not going to get into too much of the detail on that. You can look up some of the stuff online. Um, but that has to do with when they believe Christ will return, uh, whether he will return invisibly or visibly, and then there'll be a thousand-year reign, um, whether the time of the devil is before or after that thousand years. Um, and boy, when you get stuck, when you get stuck in a lot of that nonsense, it creates a lot of fear and worry. It's it's it ends up being what I would call the saving private Ryan moment. I hope I've been good enough. I hope I've earned God's grace and mercy. Um, and then it falls into, and pay attention from our gospel text for today, Christians who would believe that there's some sort of a second chance. So let's say Jesus returns, and this would be contrary to our gospel passage for today. Uh, Jesus returns and says, um, oh, hey, um, you guys need to, you know, I'm going to go ahead and take all those who are, are faithful and good with me right now. But the rest of you, 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 you need to get better. And so now you've got a second chance to fight the devil, you know, stand with Kirk Cameron. He's still kind of cute, right? And, uh, and we'll, we'll work together and we'll get our, you know, salvation figured out. And then when Jesus returns, but there aren't any second chances. So Jesus tells that in our parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, there's heaven and there's hell and there's a chasm that has been fixed in between. There's no crossing over. When you die, you go to one place or the other. So same thing when Jesus returns again. When he returns again, um, every... I will behold this. Every ear will hear. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Scripture is very clear on that. And so to, um, to ignore those words of Scripture does great violence to Christian faith. Okay? Um, and that, of course, also, uh, Scripture does not speak of purgatory. Purgatory uh, is, is not a teaching of Scripture. Uh, the belief that, you know, when you die, you go to this kind of in-between place and, uh, and Luther battled this, and we still battle this today because the Roman Catholic Church still gives indulgences. This is still a very real teaching. So for those of you Roman Catholics that may be you know, watching and listening, I really would encourage you to study Holy Scripture on this teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. It does great violence to the, the simple faith uh, that God has given. You know, Faith saves you, and no amount of money or work of the Pope is going to spring you um, from any sort of non-existent place. So uh, you either have faith uh, or you don't. And that's the, that's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, okay? Uh, so we've got some, some great, uh, great words there, okay? All right, enough about that. And that was my long-winded introduction. So let's uh, second uh, full paragraph, by far the most popular form. Professor Marquardt, here he goes. By far the most popular form of millennialism today is the version of premillennialism known as dispensationalism. This view was promoted by the very influential Schofield Reference Bible, 
which divides God's dealing with men into seven distinct ages or dispensations. In practical terms, the main idea of this scheme is that the Old Testament prophecies about Israel still await fulfillment in a Jewish national state. Okay? Um, now, this is still big. It's not quite as big as it used to be. Uh, an- another word for, for this belief specifically would be Zionism. There was a lot of money that flowed into the nation state of Israel, which was obviously formed after World War II. Okay? Um, so you watch the world news, you're familiar with all the, the challenges over in the Bible lands, right? So Jerusalem is basically divided uh, you know, between um, the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians. And you obviously get a lot of other you know, faiths that are, that are part of that, okay? But, but all of them would claim kind of that area as a holy place. So this teaching of premillennialism uh, would be that Jesus is going to return and he's going to reestablish his reign or his authority in Jerusalem. Therefore, we need to pick a side. <laughs> we need to figure out which religion is going to be best for us Christians to work with when Jesus returns. Okay? So a lot of money has gone over to the nation state of Israel for that reason, to help preserve Jerusalem for Jesus' return. And if you've ever given money to the nation state of Israel or some sort of other fundraiser for that reason, uh, come see me and I'll talk some sense into you, okay? Uh, because that is not from Scripture, okay? Um, I have no problem if you simply want to give to help your neighbor, um, you know, but to be fair, if you're going to give to support the Jews, then you should probably give to support the Muslims and the Christians alike. Who is your neighbor? Now, Jesus answered that question pretty well. Okay? It doesn't matter what your creed or skin color is. If you see someone that is in need, you're supposed to help them, even if they don't believe the same as you, even if they're your enemy. Right? Um, you know, so, but uh, just, don't, just don't fall into that contrary to Scripture trap. Okay? Marquardt continues. Any questions? Not so far? So, uh, in practical terms, the main idea of this scheme is that the Old Testament prophecies about Israel still await fulfillment in a Jewish national state, right? So, Jesus hasn't completely fulfilled all of Scripture. That should be a big red flag to you, okay? Which means when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he must have been lying. He's got to come back and actually finish it. So, you know, anyway, you're following along here. So, in this view, the church embraces only a part of God's plan. Indeed, the church really amounts to a sort of consolation prize, for it is taught that Christ had truly wished to restore the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem. Since he did not find the right response in about the year 30, he founded the church as a sort of interim measure. Once the age of the church is over, though, Christ will return and convert the Jews as a body, assume the royal throne of David in Jerusalem, then rule the world from there for 1,000 years until Judgment Day, and, and I have a simple word that Marquardt probably would have loved and used, poppycock, right? Don't, don't believe any of that, okay? The shocking demotion of the church to a stopgap measure, overshadowed by a Jewish national state as the real thing, rests on a topsy-turvy system of biblical interpretation. Instead of interpreting uh, the shadowy Old Testament types and predictions in the clear light of their New Testament fulfillments, dispensationalism reinterprets and devalues the New Testament realities to fit a rigidly literalistic reading of the Old Testament text. So what the New Testament presents as the surpassing glorious final and permanent arrangement, 
and you can read about that from 2 Corinthians 3 to 5, is turned in this way into something temporary and preliminary after all. So to dispensationalists, the political millennial Israel will still be greater. Uh, No. No, not at all. Um, and, And that's also looking for... Um, you know, glory, I mean, re-listen to the sermon again this morning. I hope I got the point across. You know, the sinner is always looking for something better here, here and now. And, and, and the sinner never has enough, right? So, you know, the rich man who's in hell, God's word isn't enough for him. Um, you know, he wants Lazarus to come back from the dead. Um, and, uh, you know, we have everything we need for salvation. And not only that, everything's been accomplished. And so when you're looking for something else, you know, if you're saying to yourself, well, boy, I, I need more Jesus in my life. I, I, don't ha- I don't have enough Jesus, you know, and all this stuff. And then you start talking about, you know, how often am I doing my devotions? How often am I, am I going to church? If you ask me that question, I'm going to simply look at you and I'm going to cock my head and say, are you baptized? And you're going to say, oh, pastor, I'm not talking about that. I said, well, Jesus is. You see, it's not about you knowing God and, and you walking with Him and having this kind of idea, you know, idyllic you know, Christian life where, oh, I can handle everything that's going to come my way. You're a sinner. <laughs> you can't. And you're going to screw up. But God, by His grace and mercy, comes to be with you. So think of Lazarus who's laying there at the gates of the poor rich man. Right? And, and the do-gooder Christian, the good works Christian, wants to say, well, Lazarus obviously did something wrong because his life is horrible. Or, <laughs> God's really not that good. <laughs> I mean, Luther fell into this trap of a judgmental God who requires it, and so I've got to do this. I've got to, it's a vicious cycle. You can't get out of it. So you have all that you need in your faith and in your baptism, period. That's right, period. Now, should you as a Christian, you know, pray as much as you can, read Scripture? Yeah, but God's grace and mercy to you isn't going to be dependent on how well you're doing at being a good little Christian. Does that make sense? God's grace and mercy to you is totally dependent upon what Christ has done. Because the minute you think that you're going to get more blessings because of how you work and what you do, then your faith becomes placed in yourself and not in Christ. And that's idolatry. Okay? And so we need to, we need to repent of that. Okay? Um, you know, the Mormons fall into this trap too, just back to the whole dispensationalism. You know, so, so Mormonism would teach that... Uh, you know, after the, the, the New Testament, you know, God, God ceased revelation. And so for, for 1,800 years, there was no new revelation from God. Um, you know, but God had planned this ahead of time, they'll teach you. And, and Angel Moroni hills hid some golden plates in the hills in New York City. Right? If you really want to get under a Mormon skin, and if these, these plates that, uh, you know, there's the Uman and the Thurum, the seeing stones that Joseph Smith was specific, or supposedly allowed to discover so he could read these stones. If this was such a big deal, and if there was an ancient Hebrew civilization here in the United States, in New York, where is all the archaeological digs to substantiate that? That would validate the teachings of the Mormon church more than anything else. 
Now, I've traveled extensively around this country. Haven't been everywhere, but I've covered pretty much every 50 states. I've spent some time in New York, been on the East Coast. I haven't seen a single archaeological dig claiming what the Mormons would claim. So they would claim that, that God now gave this, this, this New Testament, that it would be the Book of Mormon, that is new revelation concerning Jesus Christ. And so Mormons, yeah, they'll hand you a Bible, but that Bible really isn't that important to them. Okay? I mean, it's important, but not like the Book of Mormon. Because the Book of Mormon is the new revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's where all their teachings come from. Okay? It's demonic, it's false, and it's contrary to what Scripture says about God's Word. Okay? So you need to be very careful of that. Question from the few choir members we have in the audience. Yep, yeah, Jesus is going to return to Independence, Missouri. So there's two different sects of Mormonism. One, basically followers of Brigham Young, uh, which would be the, the, what's re- historically referred to as Young Mormonism. And then you have the followers of Joseph Smith, which is the Old Mormonism. And there are differences between the two. So the Mormon church as you know it now, the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints, that's Young Mormonism. And so you don't hear too much about Old Mormonism anymore, but it is still around. But if you go to Independence, Missouri, and we did, we did that for a, uh, my, my religion class at uh, Lutheran High School in Kansas City, uh, uh, took us uh, to, to visit uh, you know, these two sites, and, uh, and there is a staircase up to the top, um, and uh, you can't open it from inside. It only opens from the outside because it's for Jesus. <laughs> so when Jesus returns, he'll descend at the top, and he'll be able to open the door, and uh, he'll come down and establish then, uh, you know, this thousand-year reign. So we sat through and listened to it. Uh, I mean, Mormons are nice. Um, when, when, when Mormon missionaries come through the neighborhood, um, I, 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 I love to have them over. It really, to me, the more time I can get them off the streets, uh, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. And, uh, you know, and so... When I lived in the parsonage, we had all these, you know, LW Bibles or hymnals running around. I always would give them to the Mormon missionaries, and they were always so they had, they couldn't they can't refuse a gift, by the way. So I would always take them to. I'd say, you know, have you ever seen a Lutheran hymnal? Well, first of all, none of them know what Lutheran is, right? So then I would just open up to to one of the creeds. I just go through the Apostles' Creed. Well, that sounds kind of familiar. Can we believe that? You know, we can kind of get along with that. And, you know, they're very cagey about certain things they'll discuss. And they stay in touch with an elder at the local steakhouse. Uh, and they will occasionally bring an elder in to do that. But they're, they're in teams of two. And um, I really feel for these young, these young men that are out there doing it because they're kind of keeping an eye on each other to make sure they don't fall into uh, false theology and, and other things. But... We've always invited them back for, for supper. We did this when the boys were younger. Uh, they stopped coming around the house for some reason. But we, we didn't invite them back for Sunday supper. These are just young men, uh, you know, and, and a lot of them, they're, they're, they're away from their homes and their families. We feed them and, you know, go play basketball and, and, and other stuff. And, you know, that was good. But uh, uh, gave me a few more names to pray for, you know. But, um, but I mean, only do that if you're comfortable. <laughs> with your knowledge of Scripture. I would encourage everyone in the congregation to all of a sudden open their doors to the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. But if you, if you feel pretty comfortable on, on you know, your understanding and knowledge of Scripture, but they'll hammer you with the whole story of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, and, and, uh, you know, and, and it's all about family. So, yes, uh, or that's what they would say. Now you, need, you need to, kind of like with Islam, the Muslim faith, you need to study some of your history. 
That's not saying that all Mormons are all Muslims, that we need, we need to stereotype, but make sure you study your history on how things started and, and what does it mean, what, what does family really mean, what does it look like? And that's changed as well over the years. You know, the, the Latter-day Saints, young Mormonism used to be very staunch, even on issues of sexuality and abortion. Go look that up on your computer and see how they've changed. Because according to the Mormon church now, they have basically a prophet. That, think of like President Harrison for us, and I'm not saying he's a prophet, but that figurehead, that person, for them, speaks God's word. So whatever the, the current prophet says, he can totally change the Book of Mormon. There's two books historically that have changed more than any other books in the history of literature. You know what they are? Book of Mormon and the Quran. Do your research on that. Very interesting, the changes that have been made, okay? Especially the Book of Mormon. Lots of changes. So it's very fluid. So what you could be taught and raised to grow up believing, all of a sudden the prophet says, up, Jesus tells me, (laughs) right? And now it's fill in the blank, whatever it is, okay? And so that faith is constantly, constantly fluid, okay? We could talk more about that. We should, I have a very good friend who has done a lot of presentations on Mormonism. Uh, His name is uh, Brent Kuhlman. Uh, He's done a lot for higher things and actually played golf with him this last week. Uh, He's really good with that. And uh, we should bring him out here sometime in next year or two. Then I can play golf with him here in Indiana. And, uh, and he could teach you a little bit more about Mormonism and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, there also, um, and uh, there, there was a, we actually had a pastor by the name of uh, Lauren Cooper, um, and not Lauren, Don Cooper, Lauren's his brother. Uh, uh, Don actually studied out uh, at uh, Brigham Young University and did a, oh, I'm going to get pinged on this one by email. I can't remember if he did a master's degree. I mean, he actually said, hey, I really want, I kind of want to study and do this, and even though it was kind of raised Missouri Synod. And he wrote a great little a book that I have in my office, and I have permission to make copies of it, you know, um, Mormonism, you know, young versus old Mormonism. He goes through kind of the history and all that. It's very fascinating. So let's get back to Marquardt. Okay. Where are we at here? Where what? Although St. Peter. Bottom of page 150. Okay. So we might note the way a few particulars are explained. Although St. Peter clearly says that Joel 2, verse 28 to 32 was fulfilled then and there at Pentecost as the culmination of Jesus' cross and resurrection, Acts 2, verse 16, right? So just repeat after me, it is finished. That's what Jesus said from the cross, to telestai. You hear it especially, and the historic church has always emphasized this on Good Friday. We call it good, why? Repeat after me. It is finished. Your salvation, okay, fulfillment of all of Scripture, it's done. There's nothing left to do for your salvation. You got it? It's all finished. Okay? And that's why we speak about, you know, we live in the now and the not yet. You, you, you can't have any more Jesus than you already do in your baptism, in simple faith, in bread and wine that is body and blood. 
And that's why we take issues with, with, with charismatics and others that are trying to, you know, teach you to pray to the Holy Spirit, or I need more of this, or I need more of that. <laughs> if you're having problems, I'm going to come kick you in the butt and tell you you got everything you need. You got it all. Okay? Uh, repent of where sin is. Um, and yes, um, you know, faith without, uh, you know, works is dead. So the Holy Spirit desires to come and, and help you, you know, certainly overcome those things. But that doesn't change that you have everything uh, that Christ is and has done already. Okay? Um, so the Schofield Reference Bible claims that this is only a preliminary fulfillment relating to the church. It still remains to be fulfilled as related to Israel. But this is hair splitting, right? So by God, you know, giving you his name, you are now a member. And pay attention the next time we have a baptism. Uh, it says it specifically in the baptism rite. You are now a member of the one holy church. This little tiny baby, okay? Uh, or adult, but someone who really hasn't done anything, okay, especially little babies, they're just sitting there filling their pants, you know, and, 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 and maybe puking up on, you know, and mom's all worried they're going to ruin the nice baptismal gown and all that other stuff. I mean, but it's all God's work. It's all his work, all, all his grace, all his mercy. So hair splitting arbitrary distinctions are invented in support. Contrary to the clear thrust of Acts 2.30-36, the throne of verse 30 is supposed to be David's and Christ's own, but different from God's throne on which Christ is meanwhile sitting until the Israel plan can be put into effect. Again, and we're going to go look at these verses. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are supposed to differ in no fewer than five at respects. Okay, Not according to what we believe, but according to the Schofield Reference Bible. Yet it's perfectly clear that both expressions mean exactly the same thing. Okay, and let's look real quick. Let's go to Acts 2.30 to 36 real fast. And then I will look at Revelation 3.21. I just want to get these, uh, if you're listening at home, follow along in your Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 30 to 36. Actually, type in 2nd Luke. Oh, that's a joke. There is no 2nd Luke. I had a professor at seminary that always referred to Acts as he'd say, Second Luke. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could talk about that for a while. Okay. Uh, Acts 2 30 to 36. So, being therefore, are you done? Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades. Okay, um, where did the uh, rich man go? Pay attention from the text from today. Uh, Nor did his flesh see corruption. Okay, how far are we supposed to go? 36. This Jesus uh, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this is Pentecost, right? For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And then let's go to Revelation 3.21. Okay, and Revelation 3 verse 21 reads as follows. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? Now keep in mind, are you part of the body of Christ now? Yes or no? Are you sure? How do you know? How have you been grafted onto the body? There you go. Thank you very much. Okay, you, you, you have been made a member and heir of the kingdom. God has given you now his name. Um, and so I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. So you're part of the church. There, there, there's nothing new that awaits to make that happen. That's, that's done already. And, it, and it's, God, it's God's work completely. Okay. All right, let's not spend any more time on that. Uh, there's some other references that Marquardt uh, 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 encourages you to look at. Matthew 5.3, Luke 6.20, Matthew 13.31, Mark 4.30, and Luke 13.18. Those are really good references, so take the time on your own to kind of look through those. Okay. Uh, the Schofield References Bible uh, makes a comment on Revelation 19, verse 7, and insists that the Lamb's wife or the church is different from Israel or Jehovah's wife. Okay. And, of course, this would fly in the face if you go to, uh, what is it, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, right? By faith, Abraham, by faith, Enoch trod. Uh, and it goes, in, 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 by faith, both Old and New Testament. And that's the same faith that you have. So now what, what ends up happening is now there's different types of faith, right? And so that's why if you ever, if you come and talk to me and, you know, uh, Pastor, you know, my, my faith is kind of weak or my faith is kind of strong, and, and, I'll, and I'll listen to what you're saying, you know, um, faith first and foremost must always be objective, right? Meaning it's that which God gives to you, and it's the work the Holy Spirit does in you. And that work, given and done by the Holy Spirit, is always enough. It's never really weak or strong, it's just what it is, okay? Now the result of that, with you, because you're a sinner means that there's going to be some emotions involved or your own personal sin, okay? And so sometimes we, we take that, you know, our response to it, and we say that that's faith. Well, that's not really faith. <laughs> I would probably say, that's just sin. That's you being a sinner. They're two different things. And so if your faith is defined by what you do or how well you do it, then that's not really the faith that the Holy Spirit is bringing. Does that make sense? Okay, and so we just we need to kind of be careful when we talk that way. And so I mean, I have a lot of oh my goodness, I was playing golf last week and met some new guys, and the first thing they said is, uh, "We worship Jesus every day. We're members at Traders Point, and blah 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 blah." <laughs> oh, I'm glad you worship Jesus every day, and I'm you know I I yeah. So you're members at Traders Point. I got this five minute witnessing spiel you know, before we talked about golf or anything else. And, you know, and, and they just, and so as we kind of talked, and I didn't even tell them I was a pastor right away. That came later. Because I kind of wanted to see what they had to say, right? But, but they are so taught that the first thing they have to do when they meet anybody new is do what? We well, got a witness. You got, you, got a, you got a witness. And it was just, just kind of sad in, in some respects, um, and they're fellow Christians. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. They believe He died for their sins, right? I'm not. I'm not going to. We're not going to get into this whole thing. You know, uh, Missouri synods are not the only ones going to heaven. Matter of fact, there'd probably be a lot of Missouri synods that aren't going to heaven. But that's a whole other discussion. <sighs> so, 
It's about faith, yeah. And so God creates faith through Scripture. That, that's, that's what uh, uh, Abraham, you know, is saying uh, to the rich man down in, down in Hades. They have Moses and the prophets. So, yeah, it's going to create it. Um, but, um, yeah, let, let, let's move on here. I'm getting off a little bit, as always. What do we got? Six minutes? Okay. Um, so you are part of the bride. You are the bride. You are part of the church. Now, next paragraph. These forced artificialities and fantasies about a political Israel maintain the very misunderstandings of Old Testament prophecies expressly corrected by the resurrected Savior. So the two disciples on the road to Emmaus had told their unrecognized companion how, and read it with me, quote, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, end quote. What did they want? They wanted someone to take care of all the social injustices. They wanted to have good jobs and programs, and they probably wanted the best of schools. I fill in the blank. They wanted the Son of God, the Savior, to give them their best life now and here. Take that, Joel Olstein. That's exactly what they wanted. Okay? To redeem Israel. And they failed to see that, one, he had already brought about all the redemption. That he had done it all by his suffering, death, and resurrection. Okay? Two, they were idolizing this world and all the effects of it. And that's where we need, to, we need to be very careful of that, okay? We have great freedoms here in this country, okay? I have no issue if you come and tell me, hey, I want to go protest this, that, or the other. I say, you've got a constitutional right to do that. Just make sure you don't fall into idolatry in any way, shape, or form. Remember as well that God has given you the government as an authority over you, and you're also supposed to fear them. Now, I protested before. I protested against issues of sexuality, according to Scripture. I protested against uh, what the government allows for abortion. Okay? So, hey, I'm a protester. Correct? I've marched. I've held signs. Okay? Um, But at the same time, be careful what you are praying for. You should never pray and look to the government to give you all those good things here and now. Who should you look to for that? See the difference? And so you have to be very careful with that. Okay? You have to, you have to be very careful with that. In, in whom is your faith? Did I say that right, English teacher in the back? In whom is your faith? Okay? In whom is it placed? In whom do you trust? So... You know, and, and if you're looking to the government, and we had a couple of stanzas in the hymns from this morning, and choir, pay attention to them. You know, trust not in princes. Uh, you know, be very careful of looking to those things in this world. And that's where, then it's not faith in Christ, then it's faith elsewhere. Okay? Um, okay. Let's move on before I get myself in trouble with somebody. I probably already did. Uh, so here, look at how the stranger responds. Let's read this together. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Wow. I mean, Jesus goes right at him. And, and, and he comes through his word to go right at us as well. So when we fall into that trap and, and we're looking for God to give us this or give us that, the first thing he says is, dude, it's already done. I mean, I've given you everything. 
you have it all. You know, open your eyes and see, right? So St. Luke adds that quote, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So what does Jesus do? It's, it's beautiful. Jesus just simply explains salvation from Scripture, right? Law and gospel, okay? Explains Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. And then he did it all. To tell us die, it's finished. So what sort of thing is this everything? The gospel continues. Read it with me. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Right? So in other words, the scriptural predictions about Christ are properly understood when they are referred to his life, death, and resurrection. Right? This and not a millennium is to be preached to all nations. Right? What should be preached? I had a, a professor at, at seminary, Dr. Wong Yong Ji. Uh, Dr. Ji was Korean and, uh, and, and believed Korean was, was pretty much the best language ever, right? So in class, he would say things like, this better said in Korean, and he'd speak in Korean. We'd all be sitting there like, I have no idea what he just said, right? And uh, a good guy, but he would preach in chapel, and, uh, and he, would, he, would, he would preach a very you know, in-depth, uh, you know, uh, sermon, uh, very didactic in some ways. Uh, and then he'd, he'd get to the end of it and he said, you know, and he would say things, uh, say something like, well, you know, since we Lutheran, we must preach law and gospel. Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose for you. Amen. <laughs> right? And Dr. Horace Hummel was kind of the same way too, I'm told. I never had Dr. Hummel. Uh, that's back at St. Louis. Uh, I, I spent some time this week, took a couple days with some of my pastor buddies and uh, played golf with them, and we were swapping seminary stories. And so we were just talking about some of the differences between the professors. And I mean, we learned something from all of them, um, you know, but uh, uh, it's finished. I mean, it, it's to tell us die, okay? Okay, let's finish up here. I think we're about done. Um, this and not a millennium is to be preached to all nations. To introduce here this utterly irrelevant anticlimax of a great political destiny for the nation of Israel is to falsify the Savior's teaching. He would hardly have failed to mention such a notion had he meant to teach it, let alone emphasize it. And so when you hear some of these teachings from other churches, just go back and look. Did Jesus talk about this? Did he emphasize this? And the answer is simply, no, he didn't. So St. Paul also makes it very clear that those who believe in Christ constitute the true spiritual Israel. The church thus consists, and we're going to close here with this paragraph, of Abraham's spiritual, not physical descendants. So uh, we sing a song. The preschoolers, for some reason, it drives us nuts as pastors and teachers. They have this little song they like to sing. You want to sing it for us? No, stop it, stop it. Father Abraham had many sons, right? And they just, and they, they love it. It's a catchy tune. Um, but at the same time, it's a wonderful thing. Because everything they hear about in Scripture, you know, you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham, okay? But that's a spiritual thing. And that's the connection, of course, is, is, is Christ. And the connection, of course, is our, is our baptism, is being grafted into that family. So to introduce now an utterly, um, you know, uh, a relevant anticlimax that there's something else yet to come to make you part of this family, that's just nonsense. 
Uh, so um, the descendants of Abraham, theirs and theirs alone are the glorious promises of God. And whether they happen to be Jews or Gentiles makes not a scrap of dis- difference, right? It, it, it's, it's about faith, and it's about God doing his work through ignorance, okay? Any questions pop up? I didn't see you wave your hand around. People are like, oh, we're having Bible class again, okay. All right, so good to be back with you. I uh, hope to uh, see all of you soon. Uh, let's stand and close with Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.